lovely to be with you this morning. I don't think I'm coming through. There we go. There's that deep, dark, handsome voice that we're used to. It's a very dramatic video, but the reality of it is that none of his disciples, those that were closest to the Lord Jesus Christ, expected him to rise again. There was nobody standing outside the tomb where Jesus was buried, counting down. Ten, nine, eight, seven, cue the sun, six, five, and so on. There was no one. No one believed that Jesus would rise again. Thursday night, Jesus was arrested. On Friday morning, they heard the news that Jesus had been arrested and he'd been taken before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the legal people and he'd been put on trial. And by Friday afternoon in the evening time, he was dead. Everything, everything had stopped. Their dreams, their hopes, Everything they believed, it was all dead. It was all dashed at that very moment. His promise of forgiveness, it meant nothing. His promise to quench our spiritual spiritual thirst, well, that was just hogwash. He was dead. No one was waiting for him to rise again. What about him claiming to be God's Christ? about him claiming to be equal with God, that was just rubbish. He was dead. And being the truth and the life of mankind, being our hope, our way of salvation, that was all rubbish too. It's in ruins. It's all complete rubbish. But that's not the full story, is it? Actually, we have eyewitnesses' account that that's not the full story. Our Bible is made up of literal eyewitnesses' accounts of people who were there and saw what actually happened. But that's, that's amazing that you have that text in your hands today that we have available eyewitness accounts from people who were with the Lord Jesus Christ during this time. Historical figure of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have it recorded for us and we have the miraculous events that have surrounded his life recorded for us today. Those who were actually there have recorded for us what they witnessed and the accounts of that. We pick up the eyewitness account and the records. We pick it up in John chapter 20 and verse 2. The Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified. He's been taken by those who would do him harm and he's been hung upon a cross and he suffered a cruel and agonizing death for humanity. A few men gathered around and they pleaded with the officials to take his body down because they had a a tomb to place him in, a, a tomb that hadn't been used before. So they took the body of Jesus down and They hurriedly took it to the tomb and they placed his body in that tomb and they hurriedly wrapped him. And they rolled the large stone across the tomb and Jesus was dead and buried. Dead and buried. 
disciples were in fear. They were dismayed and troubled. And they gathered in a room together. Most of the disciples, those that hadn't dispersed to other places, had gathered in a room together to try and figure out what had happened because their heads were spinning. Their saviour, the hope of the world, the Messiah had been killed. And with him, all the hopes and the dreams had been killed. Sabbath is over. And so they decide to go to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body. They don't go to the tomb expecting to see a risen Lord. They go to the tomb expecting to see a dead Lord and to embalm his body. And as I say, we see here in verse 2 of John, who gives us an eyewitness account. He was actually there. He saw it happen. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so as they approached the tomb and they pondered in their mind how they would roll this humongous stone back so that they could anoint the body of Jesus. And as they drew upon the tomb, they found the stone rolled back. And as they peered in, they saw that the grave clothes were perfectly laid out as though the the body had disappeared without being unwrapped. And they were shocked. Nobody was looking for a risen Lord Jesus Christ. They expected him dead. This is what the women said to the men. They have taken him and we do not know where they have laid him. And their hearts were troubled as they continued to tell the story. We go now to the book of Luke. And Luke was a wonderful man. Luke recorded probably from Mark all the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ. First hand accounts. And But they did not believe the women, says in Luke. Because their words seemed like to them nonsense. When the women came back and said that they've got the body of Jesus and we don't know where they've taken him, Peter and John and the the other disciples were confused by what the women were saying. It seemed like nonsense. And you, you might be here today and you have that in common. You think it's a load of nonsense too. But we have historical eyewitness accounts recorded and kept for us of what actually happened during that time. The body is gone. And Luke picks it up in Luke chapter 24 and verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself. He he was confused. He wondered what had happened to the body of Jesus. He expected to find his friend dead and now his friend is not there and there are so many things going through his mind where is Jesus where is his body who could have taken him he didn't run out of the tomb and shout Jesus is risen hallelujah he didn't run out of the tomb and shout Jesus is risen because he didn't believe that Jesus was risen he couldn't comprehend that for a moment And this is what's so amazing about the scriptures. The scriptures actually record the disbelief of the very people that were closest to him. You think if it was a story written and manufactured by men 
we would have taken those pieces out and we would have sanitized them and we would have made it a much better story. But the people that actually were closest to him did not believe that he would rise again. How could God kill the Messiah? How could God kill the one who offered mankind life? How could God kill the one who offered men forgiveness? That was beyond comprehension. John, in the book of John, in chapter 20, says this, And on the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. This is speaking about the disciples. This is what the disciples were doing. They'd returned to their room and the room was locked. The doors were locked because they were what? They were in fear for their very lives. These are the people who were closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were in fear of their very lives because they'd seen Jesus taken and hung upon a cross and they assumed, and rightly so, that they would be next. They'd kill the leader of the group and they would come and kill the followers in a similar manner. No one, no one expected the Lord Jesus Christ to be risen from the dead. And then we read these miraculous words. We read of the miracle of his resurrection. And John records it for us, a, a first-hand account himself. On the evening of the first day, on the evening that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, they were in fear for themselves. And Luke goes on to say to us, and they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? This is amazing events. The Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the very people that should have believed in it were doubting in their minds and even more so when they saw the physical Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead, they thought it was a ghost. Amazing. Amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. When he says to them, why are you troubled? He said this many times in the scriptures. Why are you troubled? Is it not the way I told you it would be? Haven't I foretold you of this? Luke continues in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and of the Psalms. And this is the scriptures that they had then. The scriptures didn't exist as we know them now. They only had the Psalms. They only had the law of Moses. They only had the prophets. And many times through the Old Testament, as we call it the Old Testament at the moment, the Lord had told them that he would die and on the third day he would, raise, he would rise again. He told them that he would rebuild this temple, speaking of his body. Many times he had spoken to them about his death. But you see, the, the, the carnal mind could not receive the truth. Could not receive the truth. There was no church. There was no Bible. There was no believers. All had believed that he would stay dead. Luke chapter 24 and verses 46 and 47 go on. And this is, this is beautiful. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Amen? Rise from the dead. And that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This was the plan of God. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ would be taken by the hands of men and hung upon a cross and die. And it was also the will of God that on the third day he would rise again. And not rise again to proclaim that he's such a good guy, but rise again so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Hallelujah. And not only that, but that would be preached among all nations. And then this startling claim in Luke chapter 24 and verse 48, as Jesus looks them square in the eyes and says, and you are witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses. And from these witnesses, the word would be proclaimed to all nations. And he looks at us down through the channel of time and says the very same thing. You are my witnesses. We witness to the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection. There were no believers, no Bible, no church. And now the church collective is like 2.3 billion people. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. No Christianity. There was no church. There was no Bible at this point in time. And it all rested on an event. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the foundation of the Christian faith is an event. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ has profound implications for our lives. Profound implications for our lives. We see this in the life of Peter. Probably the most of all. Peter, the beloved disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves of what Peter was like because as Peter went on, he, was, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and then he unbelieved the Lord Jesus Christ and then he went through a stage where he denied the Lord Jesus Christ when he was confronted by a 12-year-old girl and then finally he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he writes First Peter... He's, he's, he's moved on in his life and he is a mature disciple. The, the history tells us or tradition tells us that he was actually beheaded for his faith. So here's a man who at the persecution of early on, he was willing to deny his faith and such is his faith now that he's willing to die for it. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's moved from being a disciple who believed, who unbelieved, who denied the Lord and who believed again to writing 1 Peter for us. And he's convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ, his Father is God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God himself. Amen. We move on and further in that verse and we see that in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. He's given us new birth through great mercy. This is speaking of the sacrifice and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, many of you have experienced this, the new birth, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of sins. Excuse me. goes on to say that we have a living hope. This is a beautiful saying. He says that you have experienced new birth, but you also have a living hope. And the idea of the verb there is a living hope that continues on. It's not just a hope, a wishy-washy hope in the past, a wishy-washy hope that it might work out. This is a convinced, full assurance, I believe 
I hope, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does all of this new birth, this new hope, this wonderful, wonderful truth founded on? He says through, and we look further into verse 3, and he says, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of the word of God. It's the foundation that God has stamped it on. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have eyewitness accounts to that very fact. We don't believe, as it were, the Bible aside from the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection because we have eyewitnesses' accounts of recorded for us in the very, very scriptures that we enjoy to read. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that what God said about himself, what Jesus said about himself is true. It means that everything he said about himself is true. That he's the living water. That he's able to satisfy man's deep thirst. That he's able to satisfy man's hunger. That he's able to forgive our sins. That he's able to take away our shame. That he's able to heal our bodies. That he's able to make us right with God again. Because he rose from the dead. Amen? Amen? Jesus can forgive our sins. He can cleanse us from all of our shame and guilt. He can restore us to a right relationship with the Father again. He gives us eternal life. And that's all based on an eyewitness account. Do you get the meaning of this? Do you get the import of this? This is all based on an eyewitness account, an historical, literal eyewitness account of Jesus rising from the dead. We serve a risen Saviour. Praise God. Psalm 32 and verse 1 says, Blessed be the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You may have come along here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. You don't know him in your heart personally. You haven't trusted him fully. And I want to challenge you through this verse how wonderful it is to have our sins forgiven. How wonderful it is to have our transgressions forgiven. How wonderful it is to have them covered up by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be right with our Heavenly Father again. Amen. In 1 John 1.9 we read, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We have recorded for us literal eyewitnesses' accounts of that happening. And so he's able to say with authority that he can forgive us of our sins. Remember when he lowered the man, the man was lowered down through the roof. I think this is a beautiful story of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was lowered down through the roof, a lame man. And the Lord said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And they gasped in horror and said, only God can forgive sins. And he said, which is it easier to do, forgive his sins or to tell him to take your peace mat and walk home? And praise God, <laughs> he got healed that very moment and walked home. But the, the import of that story is that Jesus can forgive us of our sins. And what he said about himself and what he said about forgiveness is true because we have eyewitness accounts of that. So for you today, if you haven't known the Lord Jesus Christ yet, there's an opportunity for you to confess your sins and come know him as your Lord 
and Saviour. And for those of us here today who have known Christ but have been stained by the world and have been living in our sin, there's an opportunity for us to confess our sin before the Lord and to receive his cleansing also. Let's stand together. Let me lead you in prayer. And for those Christians here today that have been living a double life and you're sick of carrying your guilt and your shame, bring it and lay it down before the Lord in prayer today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. For those of you gathered here today, you've come with friends and family. You know about the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've never come to know him personally. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'd like you to pray along with me. In your heart, if you'd like to trust the Lord for the first time, pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the death of Jesus Christ. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for his resurrection. I thank you that you forgive me of my sins. And I thank you, Father, for your love for me. And I pray now that you would forgive me of my sins and I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life and I believe you. And I pray, pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we come before you now and we've, some of us have walked with you for a long time and this world has left its mark on us. And we want to be so near and dear to you and we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. And we lay down our sin before you and we pray that you would heal us and we pray that you would forgive us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, don't keep it to yourself. It's actually too good a news to keep to yourself. Share it with the person next to you. Share it with the person who brought you along. Share it with one of our pastors so that we can pray for you. And uh, welcome to the family. And good morning, everybody.